The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. conclude this chapter and move into chapter number 17, even in the weeks to come. We are reaching this climactic period of the seven years of tribulation and this uh, time of Jacob's trouble, as the scripture tells us. And uh, so we're going to get into closing out chapter 16 as we've looked at some of these, well, six of the seven vile judgments thus far, and uh, looking at this last one as the uh, as just kind of the introduction to it tonight as we close chapter number 16. But in doing so, I want you to read with me in, um, in uh, chapter 16, picking up in verse number 17 in just a moment. But let's recap some things as we get into this. Of course, uh, uh, the uh, outline uh, that was given to the Apostle John there on the Patmos in chapter number 1. He said, first the Lord said, hey, let's, uh, I want you to write about the things that you saw. And uh, then he said, I want you to write about the things that are, and then I want you to write about the things that will come after these things. And so as you see on the screen, uh, those can, uh, they match up to different parts of the book of Revelation. The things that he saw was in chapter 1, things that are chapter 2 and 3, and then uh, the things that are after these things, chapter 4, even into where we're at tonight through the ending of the book as well. And uh, during this time, God's pouring out his uh, wrath and, uh, upon the earth and upon uh, the Jewish people and those that inhabit the earth. Uh, he's doing it with a series of final bowl or vile judgments, and that's all prior to the Lord's second coming. And so as we... Is this, is this mic working here? Is this one on? And uh, as we see here, these... Uh, different vials or bowls bring different things. The first one, the sores, and then the seas, the blood, the rivers, the blood, the sun burning and uh, scorching the men's flesh. Number five, uh, the painful uh, dark that comes and the, the, just the, the spiritual um, uh, the darkness that comes upon the earth and uh, likened to plagues, the Bible says there in chapter 16, as we've read already. And uh, this is found in chapter 16. Again, these reiterated again in chapter 18. Uh, the, the vial 6 or bowl 6 uh, is uh, that of the Euphrates drying up and it begins the war of Armageddon. We discussed that a little bit, the first battle, first phase of the battle, and that's found in 16 and 18 as well. Then uh, finally, the number 7, which we'll study tonight, is the great city destroyed. This is the second phase of the battle found here at the end of chapter 16, spoken about again in chapter 18 spoken about directly in chapter 17. And so you see, as we discussed uh, last week even, uh, much like the middle point of tribulation, these chapters that fall along uh, as we conclude the last part of uh, Revelation and this tribulation time, it all intermingles throughout these chapters. And so we want to do our best to make sure that we're uh, focused and uh, that we know exactly what the Lord is doing in this way. And uh, then uh, finally in chapter 19, uh, the final phases, three through five are uh, taking place and the return of Christ will take place as well. But six of the seven judgments have already come upon the earth. We've discussed these uh, in uh, the week past as well. Uh, The first five uh, produced devastating destruction 
Uh, that caused uh, pretty much life on earth to come to an end. I mean, it, if, if, if anyone is still alive, their days are numbered. They're, they're limited because of the no water, the, uh, just the elements that were taking place. Much of the world has been destroyed. Of course, then those final two judgments of, cha- of judgment six and seven of these bowler vile judgments, uh, they kick off a complex series of events that will be known as the War of Armageddon, as we've pointed out up there. But chapter 16 serves as an overview. As we move into 17, 18, and 19, there's great details about a lot of these things. But chapter 16 kind of starts off as an overview of these seven judgments and the first stages of the war of the Battle of Armageddon as well. And uh, last week we studied uh, how the first phase, the Lord will ultimately dry up uh, the bodies of water of the Euphrates River east of Jerusalem near Babylon and allow for the armies and uh, uh, those that are going to oppose Israel. Israel to be able to make their way across the river and towards Jerusalem. And in doing so, the Lord opens up the opportunity for them to get there. The river had had been a a, uh, a blockade, if you may, from them being able to get there. And now they'll make their way over here to Jerusalem, uh, towards Jerusalem, to this area uh, that we know as the uh, Valley of, of Megiddo with Armageddon there. The Antichrist will move westward uh, towards the Jezreel Valley, and uh, he'll t- that's where the war will begin to take place. And the stage is now set for uh, the battle of all battles, evil versus good, uh, the Lord versus Satan, if you may. And so the Lord is directing the enemies and, uh, of Israel, and he is uh, kind of just playing it out like it's a pieces of, uh, uh, on a chessboard and uh, bringing them right to where he wants them and accomplishing what he desires for them to, be, to accomplish. And that brings us to this final bowl or this fi- final vial here in chapter number 16. And this judgment particular is focused on the fall of what is known of, as a great city. And uh, this is one of the most important events of tribulation. And in fact, it's so important that the ju- the ju- this judgment itself gets great detail, not only at the last part of 16, but all through 17 and into 18 as well, those chapters. And so that's the next segment or stage of the war of Armageddon. So join with me in verse number 17, Revelation 16 and verse number 17, and we'll read down through verse number 21, the end of the chapter. Verse number 17, it says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the, of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Our Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again. As we've already said tonight, Lord, we count it a privilege to be able to gather with other believers and, and to be able to sing songs of worship unto you, to be able to have opportunity to hear from your word, for others to have opportunity for growth as well through our youth departments and the children's choir, discipleship that's taking place. Lord, we just thank you for all that takes place on a Wednesday. Wednesday night, and and, uh, that the focus of it is always you, 
And now, Lord, as we focus on your word, we ask that you'd give me the word to speak as I deliver the message, that you'd help us to hear from your, from your word as your spirit guides us in truth, that you might be our own glorified and that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So well, last week, as we looked at the first five judgments, kind of uh, just uh, an overview of them, and then the sixth one as well uh, last week. Tonight, let's take some time and examine this seventh judgment and uh, consider the, uh, the impact that it will have as it moves into this last war, uh, this, this war to end all wars, the battle of Armageddon as we know it. And so the final bold judgment, uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 17, this final, final vile judgment is uh, poured out, it says, into the air. And uh, the atmosphere of our earth, of course, we understand, uh, is uh, that of a, a, a canopy of moisture, uh, and all the rest of, the, of these vials had been poured out upon bodies of water as well, as we had seen the first five with the oceans and, and uh, rivers and the uh, fresh waters and such. And so in, in like fashion, this one poured out into the air, into the atmosphere, if you may, uh, in, 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 a, in a much similar fashion, uh, is poured out into uh, the earth as a whole or into the bodies, the water that encapsulates the earth, uh, like dye poured into a cup. If you've ever done a science experiment or something that maybe uses uh, some food coloring and a glass of water in a glass cup, you put a couple of drops of that food coloring into the water and stir it up, that water turns the exact color, right? It, it, it takes over uh, the water. It completely dyes it. And in that way, what is taking place with this judgment, it's being poured out. The entirety of the earth is being impacted by this. Not just oceans, not just rivers, not just fresh waters, but the entirety of the earth is being impacted uh, by this particular judgment. And so God's wrath is going everywhere uh, among the earth. And this judgment results in an earthquake that uh, produces a unique destruction, uh, unlike any other earthquake ever has done. The Bible tells us that as we read in verse number 18. And um, the damage has uh, got to be on par with that of the flood and what took place in Noah's day as well, because the Bible tells us while this is all taking place, mountains are gone, islands disappear, and, uh, and uh, the continents are ripped into pieces, into shreds, ripped apart as well. And we understand that mountains and islands are pretty much the same thing, right? Uh, mountains just uh, rising above the, 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 the plains of the, of the dry land where islands are peeking out of, from the bottom of the sea floor. And uh, so what is being said here is it says that the uh, islands fled away and the mountains were not found, that these peaks begin to uh, crush down or begin to dive down uh, to the, to the, uh, to the uh, lands and, and uh, just diminish of what is taking place. And so the logical conclusion is this, that they're sinking downward into the crust of the earth. That means that mountains, islands being gone, the only thing that is left are the plains. The only cities that are left are the ones found in the plains as well. Um, for the most part, we'll find Jerusalem is still standing. We understand they're on a, it's on a mountain. Uh, but nevertheless, then we read here in verse number 17. Notice with me. It says that the voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. With this final judgment, when it comes, the voice from the temple says, it is done. 
that Greek word for done, uh, it has the meaning of accomplished. How many of you have ever been someplace and where you maybe ha- were at the restaurant and you had a pretty large meal in front of you? Maybe it was the buffet or something like that, and you kind of push away from the, from the dinner table and you say, oh, I'm done, but you still have food on your plate. Wait a minute. How are you done and you're not finished, right? So you can say I'm done and not complete anything, actually. But this word done doesn't have the idea of just giving up. This word done has the idea of it being accomplished, finished, meaning that the wrath of God and His purposes in the tribulation uh, are going to come to an end with this final vile judgment. Revelation 15 and 1 says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up of the wrath of God. So his wrath is going to come to fruition. It's going to be complete. And as promised, these judgments bring an end to God's wrath. We also remember when Jesus took upon himself the wrath for you and I, so that we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of hell, that we might be able to have life eternal. He as well used the term much like this, it is done. When he said, it is finished. The Bible says in John 19 and 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself for our sake. And once he received God's wrath for sin, he declared that the wrath of God against those who would trust him as savior was finished, that he had taken it completely. So the wrath of God is all, has always been and always will be poured out upon sin. But we find that God's wrath will either be poured out and experienced by those who try to live in their sin and try to pay for it themselves, and they'll experience the full wrath of God in that way. Or those who have accepted Christ as their Savior will not experience any wrath because Jesus has experienced it for us in our place. In John 3 and 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not uh, uh, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Finally, we also see here that Verse number 18, there were voices and thunders and lightnings. If you remember back even in the beginnings of chapter 4 and such, I said always look for when you find thunderings and lightnings and things. And what we say uh, always came along with thunderings and lightnings, judgment. And this is the same thing taking place here as well. And it says that uh, there was a great earthquake. And then it says that the cities were divided. And uh, the city was divided in three parts. That great city was. And uh, then, of course, the islands fled away and the mountains were not found. But notice what it says in verse number 21. And there fell upon uh, men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of, of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, and the plague therefore thereof was exceeding great. We find a hailstorm to end all hailstorms, pummels the earth. Uh, this hailstorm brings down uh, stones that are, uh, it says the, they weigh about the, t- the, the, the weight of a talent. Now, that could span anywhere, depending on if it's a Jewish talent or an Egyptian one and all those types of things, uh, from 75 pounds all the way up to 121 pounds or roughly or so. So let's just 
cut it an even, say, right? Let's say 100 pounds, all right? And the average weight of these, uh, these, hail, these pieces of hail falling from, uh, the, uh, from the heavens is about 100 pounds. And when we think about hail, we think about ice, right? We've ever been in a hailstorm, and we think about ice falling. And if it were ice, that would be terrible enough. But the Bible says that in verse number 21, that they, this hail came from heaven and every stone. This, 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 this speaking of the, when the Bible speaks of hailstones, it's literally stones or rocks falling from the sky. And so God is destroying the world with 100-pound rocks, leaving nothing intact. Anything that's man-made is being destroyed. Any, any type of structures, any type of buildings, any type of anything that doesn't have some type of armor around it is being crushed beneath the weight of these stones. And so any individuals are having to find uh, any shelter that they can. Many are losing their lives, no doubt, because of it. And those who are able to escape the wrath that is of this hailstorm begin to blaspheme God because of the hailstorm. And since the judgment is clearly heaven-sent, People on earth are recognizing that this is another act of God, and that's why they blaspheme Him because of it. And, uh, but what is God's purpose in all of these disasters? Why is He bringing forth this judgment and this wrath in such a way? Well, look at verse number 19. It gives us the answer. It says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities, notice this phrase, the cities of the nations fell. The Greek word for nations is the word ethnos, and uh, it could also it, it most of the time speaks to the idea of the, of a Gentile. Uh, and so, what is being said here? The cities of the Gentiles, and anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. So. The world has is, is been put on notice, if you may, through all that has taken place, and this final outpouring of His wrath is going to bring a destruction to every element of the earth and every city on the earth except for one, that is Jerusalem. And when we find all this taking place and we find that Jerusalem is being excluded from these judgments, and since it stands on the mountain, we presume that this mountain is still standing as well, not touched by what has been said about the other mountains also. And through it all, God is putting a notice out there clearly that His, His, His protection and His blessing is on His people and that He has a plan. And no matter what kind of concoction or plan or, 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 or work Satan and his minions think that they can dream up, he's going to win in the end no matter what. We said last week that all of these, uh, these events and the waters being destroyed and, and uh, the, the, the great burning from the sun and the great darkness as well, it put Satan and uh, the Antichrist, they're all on notice that, hey, we've only got mere days left. And so they think that through all of this, God has forgotten about something and they found a loophole. And that's why they mass all the forces together and they invade the area of Jerusalem thinking that, hey, he's coming back soon. And if we can just cut him off at the pass, we still got victory. We're going to lose our life, yes, but we still have victory because we've killed the, the, the chosen one. We've killed the Savior. We've killed God. And that's what they think is going to take place. But God's actually working all this out for his plan. And, when the, and the fact that he's bringing down this hail upon all of the earth except for one place. It's like, look, fellas, you think you're going to win? You don't even stand a chance on what's going to take place. 
So Jerusalem alone remains intact and rises above all of the cities, literally the highest point on all of the earth at this time. But even while all this is taking place, we read there's at least one, uh, one Gentile city that remains standing, at least to some degree. Because look at verse number 19 again. That phrase right before the middle portion there that we just read about the cities of the nations fell, it says, and the great city was divided in the three parts. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And so we're see, we see that it says that this, city was, this great city was split into three parts. And probably when we just read that phrase, great city, our mind immediately thinks of Jerusalem, probably. Uh, I know for me, when just the casual reading of this, that's what it does. But when we follow the rules of interpretation, of, of interpretation and how to interpret, interpret symbols, we find actually a different answer. The term great city is found only in, a, in several occasions in the Bible, and all of them are found in the book of Revelation. And when you go and look them up and combine them together in context, we find that this term great city uh, gives us uh, uh, an idea of what Jesus is, is saying through John here. Revelation 18, for instance, in verse number 21, says, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, this, saying Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And we find Babylon mentioned again in verse number 19, that great Babylon. And so it's a, it's a parenthetical, it's a pause in between great city and the, and the great Babylon there when he talks about uh, the cities of the nations fell. But it's speaking of Babylon when it speaks of that great city. But if you've been paying attention through our studies, you're sitting there tonight and saying, wait a minute, pastor. I remember one, one verse in Revelation that that term great city seems to apply to Jerusalem. And so I don't know if I'm following everything that you're saying. In fact, you can turn back with me and we'll, we'll look at it, but I believe an explanation will clear that up quickly. Revelation 11 and verse number 8. Revelation verse 11 verse number 8 says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city. Okay, who's it speaking of here? This is speaking of the two witnesses, right? And uh, so it says their bodies will lay in the streets of the great city. Notice it says, though, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So we, under, we know by the context that it's Jerusalem. We know that by the term where our Lord was crucified is speaking of Jerusalem as well. But notice that this, this place, Jerusalem, is actually described in one verse in four different ways. It's described first as a great city. It's described secondly as Sodom. It's described thirdly as Egypt. And then finally as Jerusalem, the place where our Lord was crucified. And so we understand that it's called the great city, Sodom, Egypt. And uh, those last, uh, all of these four descriptions clearly tell us that it's, it's a view of Jerusalem. That last of the four is, I should say rather. But the first three, uh, these first three are euphemistic in essence. They are descriptive in essence. Uh, it says that it is like Egypt in its wickedness and in its sin and its, uh, its turning away from the Lord. It's like Sodom in its wickedness and its turning away from the Lord. It's like the great city, which would be what? Babylon 
and its wickedness in turning away from the Lord as well. And so each of these three places were known for great sin, known for its rebellion against God. And uh, so we see that was the state of Jerusalem in that day. If you've ever heard this phrase, my children came through the living room like a Tasmanian devil. Your child is not literally a Tasmanian devil. I don't think. But... Their actions were like the Tasmanian devil. Destructive, right? That's what is being said. So what is being Jerusalem being described as in chapter 11? It's described as an, it being in an evil place, being in a place of rebellion against God, such as was Babylon, such as was Sodom, such as was Egypt. And so, thus, so through all these verses in Revelation, when the great city is spoken of, it is speaking of Babylon. And so it always references Babylon. And this city has now become the focus of our story for the next two chapters. As we close chapter 16, move into 17 and 18, Babylon is the focus of what is going to take place. In verse number 19 of chapter 16, we've just read that it, we're told that Babylon is going to receive the cup of wrath. From the Lord. In verse number 19, it says it will receive the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. As we discussed even last week, bowls or cups or vials are commonly used in Scripture as, as symbols, and they're symbols of something being stored up, and particularly being stored up the wrath of God for use at a later time, and now they are being poured out on the one whom the wrath is appointed to. This is the fate of Babylon. But the concept of Babylon is complex. This concept of Babylon is one that has caused plenty of issues and arguments amongst students of the Bible. Uh, and that's why it takes two chapters to discuss all these events that are going to take place and get it clear so that we can get a, a proper understanding of what's going on. We find that the destruction of Babylon is one of two major themes in the Bible. The other major theme is the redemption brought to mankind through Jesus Christ. And these two themes, they play out through the entirety of the Bible. They play, play out against one another throughout Scripture. And so Babylon, as it serves as the antagonist to Christ's protagonist in this story, we find Jesus's, just as Jesus' identity is, is slowly and little by little um, developed, and exposed as we go through Scripture? We find it in Genesis 3, right? The seed of the woman against, the, uh, against the Satan and bruising his head and his heel and so on. It's there, but it, uh, the full extent of it isn't brought out there in chapter 3 of Genesis. And then as we go on through the Bible, we, we think of places like Ruth and the kinsman redeemer. And how that, the Jesus Christ will work in that way to, to bring redemption to the man. And all throughout Scripture, it points to it. A little bit is illuminated here, and a little bit is illuminated here. And finally, the Gospels bring us Jesus as He comes to earth, wrapped in swaddling clothes as a baby in a manger. But He lives His life, and He, he works throughout His ministry, and He ultimately dies on the cross for you and I and rises again for the redemption of mankind. And then the epistles and the rest of the New Testament point to that again of what he's already done and what he's accomplished. And just as his identity, Jesus' identity is revealed slowly in stages throughout the course of Scripture, Babylon 
is also slowly unveiled throughout Revelation here as well. The word Babylon in Scripture actually carries multiple meanings. In fact, Babylon stands for at least five related concepts in the Bible that I'd like to share quickly here tonight with you as well. First off, we find that Babylon is representative of the home of sin, the home of sin. And uh, because it is the location of where the Garden of Eden was, what is present-day Iraq. Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, the Bible says this, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and became into four, uh, four heads. The name of the first is Pison, uh, that is, it which compasseth com the whole land of Havilah, uh, uh, where uh, there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Uh, there is a, a Delium, uh, and the onyx stone, and uh, the name of the second river is Gihon. Uh, the same is it that uh, compasseth, I'm sorry, the whole land of Ethiopia. In the name of the third river, Hidekel, uh, that is which goeth uh, toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Garden of Eden was located, it was the location of Satan's original attack against God. Satan fell from heaven. He was removed from his place there in heaven. He, uh, his pride dwelled up, well, swelled up in him to the point where he was removed from that position in the heavenly tabernacle. And as such, he uh, was jealous of the relationship that Adam and Eve, the, the, the first humans, had with their Lord. And he came unto Eve and he, uh, he deceived her. And then Adam chose to follow in that deception as well. And uh, from that time, uh, it, sin entered into the world. As Romans 5 and 12 tells us, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And from that point forward, every person has born, been born with that sin stain or that sin nature. But that area in which Babylon was known to be, was known to be located is in the same vicinity in which Eden was, and we find that Babylon is ground zero for the start of sin on earth and the beginning also of his battle with God over the control of her. Furthermore, Babylon has been seen, has been Satan's home territory and his stronghold, I believe even today. There's a special uh, spiritually dark influence in that region of the world. If you've ever been there, I'm sure you could probably be able to attest to that as well. Demonic activity seems to be especially strong in those areas today. And so when you hear the word Babylon, you should think home of Satan, home of sin. But secondly, Babylon was also the source of idolatry on earth. In Genesis chapter number 11, we, it records how men gathered together in Babel under one man's leadership, a man named Nimrod. Nimrod serves as a picture of the Antichrist of his day. His story even pictures that of the Antichrist as well. And Nimrod was an all-powerful world leader for everyone in that day. And he calls for a new kind of worship, one that was man-centered, one that was man-made, one that it was man's idea of how they would come to God. Literally, they were going to construct a tower that was going to reach into heaven. And they were going to get themselves to God on their own. No longer was it good enough for lambs and goats to do it. 
to get them to have a communion with the Lord. They were going to get it, get themselves there uh, on their own volition. And so Satan uses Nimrod to establish the thinking that men could define their own way to reach heaven. And doesn't he do the same still today? He still tries to get men to think that they can make their own way to the, to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He responded by scattering the people, confounding the language to ensure that such a worldwide rebellion would even be more difficult in the future. But since that time, language as a barrier has gotten smaller and smaller, hasn't it? I mean, there's people nowadays that know multiple languages, I mean, just perfectly. You've got an app on your phone probably that can translate your, your English language into another, and you can communicate that way. They're even making devices like, this, like hearing aids that you can put in that as you speak in your language, it will in real time translate it into the language of the person hearing. And as, as those types of things begin to progress and get further and further, uh, the, the barriers that have been there to call, that has kind of kept that worldwide rebellion from coming uh, to fruition is getting less and less, and it will come on the stage. So when you hear the word Babylon, not only should you think of the home of sin, but you also should think of the source of idolatry. But thirdly, Babylon is uh, the first Gentile kingdom to conquer the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem as well. Prior to Nebuchadnezzar, no Gentile nation had ever succeeded in overpowering God's people in such a way. God permitted Babylon, though, to conquer Israel as part of His plan, uh, to discipline His people for their sins, and it became the first nation, as we already discussed, the, discovered in our Daniel studies, the age of the Gentiles. It started with Babylon there, and uh, God permitted them to conquer Israel. Jeremiah 51 and 24 says, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion, in your sight, saith the Lord. And the times of the Gentiles will end in a similar matter as well. A single Gentile ruler, just like Nebuchadnezzar in those days, a single Gentile ruler controlling the entire world, persecuting Israel, controlling both Jerusalem and Babylon together. And uh, that will be the Antichrist kingdom. And like the first Babylon, the final Babylon will be used by God to discipline His people. But yet God has promised that this discipline will not be Israel's final or ultimate destruction. And so when we hear the word Babylon, we should also think of God's instrument to discipline Israel. Fourthly, Babylon becomes the seat of power for the Antichrist during the time of tribulation. And uh, some, this is where it kind of gets tricky, because some interpreters say Babylon only represents some type of spiritual force or mystic force. Others say it's literal. I say, why can't it be both? Because we find that there's, our, there's literally forces coming from the east, moving to where this uh, Valley of Megiddo is, this, uh, this, this uh, Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And so there's a literal place. If, the, if not so, why would there need to be a literal river in the river Euphrates that dried up? to be able for them to, uh, to pass over and so forth. And the seventh bold judgment declared that the great city, which is Babylon, would be destroyed uh, like the other cities ultimately. So if it's not a real place, how is it being destroyed as well? And so the Antichrist seat of power is this place of Babylon. And it makes sense since we know Satan's home has always been in the region of Mesopotamia. 
So naturally, his headquarters there is for the world government is in that city. And so when we think of the word Babylon, we ought to also think of the headquarters of the Antichrist. But finally, the fifth thing is because Babylon is the home of the father of all lies and the seat of power for the Antichrist during the tribulation, it does spiritually stand for the city that stands for all false religions. See, Babylon doesn't represent just one specific false religion. There would be some that would say that Babylon is the Catholic Church, all right? You, you, you listen to some preachers, they would say that just straight out, it's the Catholic Church. But my friends, I don't believe Babylon just stands for one. I believe it stands for all false religions. Like if you had a pie chart, you would have Christianity as one color and you'd have you would have uh, Catholicism, and you'd have Mormonism, and you'd have uh, Hinduism, and you'd have, uh, you just go on, Buddhism, all, go on down the line. You'd start putting them on there, there'd be slivers and slices of the pie chart, right? And you would think, well, you know, it's all, all different. My friends, there's only two religions. There's the truth, and then there's false. So no matter what name you go by on the false side, you're still all part of a false religion. And Satan is the father of lies, so everything else is Babylon. Anything that isn't Jesus, anything that isn't truth is Babylon. See, the enemy counterfeits religion, uh, and it began back in the garden, as we already, took, as we already spoke about. It took form and, and shape in Babel. It eventually gave birth to an uncountable number of children as different false religions grew and different false religions were born. And today there's a smorgasbord of false religions out there. If you want to follow the flying spaghetti monster, you're welcome to do so. But my friends, they're, they're, they abound uh, on, from one end of a spectrum all the way to the other. But creating many false religions plays right into Satan's hands in two ways. One, having many false religions count, uh, I'm sorry, camouflages the, the real truth. How many of you have ever heard someone say, uh, well... Um, there's, uh, there's more than just one road that leads to heaven, right? So it counterfeits the truth, but secondly, it perpetuates that myth that there are many roads that lead to heaven as well. And so all religions seem equally valid in men's eyes. So when we hear the word Babylon, we need to think all false religion. As we close tonight, as we put all this together, as we come to the close of chapter 16, we find that Babylon is both literal, physical, place of importance in the end times, and a seat of spiritual power as well for the Antichrist, and a seat of spiritual power within the Scripture itself. It's a physical location where sin began, and the spiritual home of Satan and rebellion. It's a starting point for idolatry, and the source of all hatred and oppression against God's people in the age of the Gentiles. Babylon represents all of Satan's false religions, and the untold damage that have gone on for the millennia. Therefore, Babylon and Jerusalem are always set in opposition to one another. They're always set opposed to one another in Scripture, and though that relationship is sometimes hard to see, generally speaking, though, it is expressed in simple terms of just cardinal directions. Notice the fact Jerusalem on the west Babylon in the east, opposites of each other. 
sin and, and God, opposites of each other. Sin and righteousness, uh, opposites of each other. Babylon is east of Jerusalem, and therefore, there, you could say that it represents, that direction represents evil. And Jerusalem in the west it would be a picture of moving towards the Lord. And, and I believe there's some, there's some pictures of this in Scripture as well. Adam was created, and the Bible says that he was the keeper of a garden that was in the east, interestingly enough. And uh, where, would, where did sin come into play for the first time in this world? There in that region of Babylon, in the east. Later, Cain was, would, would kill his brother Abel. And as a cursing, the Bible says that Cain was sent east after his murder of Abel. Then Abraham, in the Ur of the Chaldees, uh, which, was in the, which was east of the promised land, went west, picturing his moving towards the Lord and his desire to follow the Lord in what his, uh, his uh, plan was for his life. Even Jesus moved from west of the Jordan River to east into the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness there as well in the Gospels. In this pattern, it happens time and time again, and characters moving east or west suggest spiritual changes as well, much like going down to Egypt pictures a backsliding as well throughout Scripture. The only two cities, though, left standing at this time in the book of Revelation at this latter part of tribulation is Jerusalem and Babylon. Everything else has been destroyed. And God has set the stage in such a way for this to come to fruition and to bring His will to being accomplished. The Lord has narrowed the focus of the world to this direct location and where east meets west in this final battle. And we know that this vile judgment of tribulation are the final wrath of God upon the earth. And therefore, these tribulation judgments are going to bring an end to Babylon in all forms. This battle... This battle of Armageddon, when it concludes, it not only is going to destroy the physical city of Babylon, but it is also going to destroy the spiritual implications of Babylon as well. There will be no more false religion. Satan and his, foe, and his minions will be destroyed. They will be locked away. The Fi final battle, of course, taking place there when he's released from the, at the end of the, of the millennial reign. We'll talk about that as well. But nevertheless, in the end, it's all come, he's, he's, he's defeated. He is a defeated foe, and Babylon and everything that it stands for for Satan will be completely brought to an end. We, we see Babylon destroyed in two parts. First, as we get into chapter number 17 in a couple weeks, we find God is judging spiritual Babylon. We'll study that in chapter 17. The Lord brings it into all false religion and its control over the unbelieving world. But secondly, with spiritual Babylon defeated, chapter number 18 describes the judgment on the physical location of Babylon as well. The Antichrist makes the city a seat of military and financial power in the last days of tribulation. So the Lord brings that city to ruin and completely tears it down, robbing it of all of its wealth, robbing it of all of its power and all of its prestige. And so we're going to move into chapter 17 in the weeks to come and see God's judgments first against spiritual Babylon. And uh, chapter 17 actually serves almost like a puzzle. We got to put all the answers together. But thankfully, most of them are found there. And the Lord has always given us His, His Word elsewhere so that we can put it all together and He guide us through it. So let's pray and we'll take this time for prayer. Our Father, we thank You for uh, this evening. We thank You for uh, Your Word and and Lord, while we see 
the power that is displayed uh, through Satan and, and his grip on, on this world even still today. And uh, what he will do to destroy, bring destruction in the end times, Lord, we, we can't uh, help but uh, notice the fact that you are, are uh, all-powerful. And uh, you will bring destruction to uh, his plans and your will will be accomplished. Lord, I ask now that you'll take what we've learned tonight, help us to apply it to our lives, draw us closer to you, that our faith will have grown, that our trust in you will have strengthened, and uh, Lord, that we'll be able to see that if you uh, have a plan and, and uh, it's going to come to pass in the end, that you have a plan for us today, and that you can work it out in our life as well. And Lord, I ask now that you hear our requests tonight as we bring them before you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a prayer request card that hasn't yet been turned in, if you hold it up high, uh, or Jonathan's got the rest in the back, and he'll grab it from you on his way up. All right, let me mention these here this evening, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer tonight before we dismiss. All right, first off, uh, we have one from... Ms. Lisa DeMint, she first off was praising the Lord and thanking the church for praying for Jim and for the real meals that were uh, given uh, during uh, the his time of his recovery from his, his most recent uh, surgery on his shoulder. Uh, they're thankful for the church. But unfortunately, uh, last night she had to take Jim into the ER. Uh, he's back there because his meds were not working properly. Uh, they are, I believe, home now, and they've got home way early in the morning uh, or late uh, last night, and I think they're at home anyways, uh, resting and all of that. But uh, just keep uh, Jim in your prayers and that maybe uh, the doctors were able to fin- figure something out with the medications there for him as well. Uh, Kyle and Juanita are asking prayer for Katrina Bar- uh, Barnett and a family uh, who is looking for work and having some financial trouble. And so if you'd remember uh, Katrina Barnett and the, their family in prayer, please. Uh, Larry Whitworth is asking prayer for Linda Gordon. Uh, Linda Gordon's mother passed away. Uh, her husband is having some issues as well. Um, and so be in prayer for, uh, for that. Uh, her husband, Linda's husband, is having some issues. Uh, and uh, so be in prayer for her husband and the son as well. Um, and so just keep her in your prayers. Maybe, uh, um, maybe if you want to send her a text message or, or something, she's, not, she's asking for no visitors at this time, though. So just keep her in your prayers for sure. Miss Beverly's uh, praising the Lord. They had a wonderful and safe cruise. No one got sick, and uh, their lost luggage has been found. And so praising the Lord with them about those issues there also. Miss Tana is asking prayer. She's got a doctor's appointment. Um, all right, and so be in prayer for uh, that appointment on Monday and uh, ask the Lord to give guidance to the doctors through that. Brother Ed Richards is asking prayer uh, for Sister Ann, uh, who's in the hospital after falling. Uh, she has a problem with her speech for a while and is now affecting her understanding as well. And so be in prayer for his sister Ann and uh, that process there in the hospital, please. Um, All right, so uh, this looks like it's for an update from uh, Chris about a few things. Um, continue to pray for the sale of your house. Is that what I'm reading there, Chris, right? Uh, yeah, we just received that right now. Okay, and so be in prayer for that. And, um, also, uh, 
take continue to take uh, to pray for they're working uh, with his mother and taking care of her and all that needs to go into that. Uh, no update on the clearance yet, still waiting, uh, but have been assured that uh, there is, they're not going to drop uh, him through this uh, process. And so be in prayer that all that is able to work out and uh, come to a completion there. Uh, Miss Sabrina is asking prayer. They uh, lost their dog today, and uh, so they're just a little upset about that. So be in prayer for comfort for them. And uh, then Jonathan's offering praise tonight. Uh, he is uh, uh, transitioning into a new job, and that transition changeover is going well. And uh, so we're praising the Lord with him about that and thanking the Lord for his opening the doors for that new, new job also. So let's find ourselves a prayer partner this evening, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. You pray, pray for as long or as for as little as you'd like tonight. And uh, when you are finished, feel free to uh, uh, be dismissed and uh, make your way out. Uh, just remember those who are still in here praying as to not to disturb them on the way out. So let's pray.